0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. moonpig.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: American glutton podcast has a patreon do you hate commercials well we've got a patreon do you want bonus episodes that's on the patreon do you want to hang out and chat in our discord channel that's part of the patreon too we even have an option where you can leave me voicemails all on the patreon so check it out today patreon.com slash Glutton. we have a patreon hi Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. I used to sit and weigh and measure everything out and I don't do that anymore. You know why I don't do that anymore? Because Trifecta does it for me. All my long, arduous Sunday spent on meal prep, I don't do that anymore because I get a big box of portioned cooked food every week from them. And I don't have to get overly thoughtful about it. They have taken all that energy and done it for me. Thanks, Trifecta. Today on American Glutton, I welcome Gretchen Rubin. She is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. She's a highly acclaimed writer, known for her ability to distill and convey complex ideas from science to literature to stories from her own life with levity and clarity please enjoy gretchen rubin welcome
2: to the american glutton podcast i'm so happy to be talking to you thanks for having me
1: um something i've found uh for myself and i've talked to some people who have found this also has been that um they have gone after stuff with uh the pursuit of happiness in mind and gotten the things that they believed would bring them happiness and then not been happy and i found that over and over again i lost 300 pounds. And I thought that this would solve every problem I had and that I would not experience melancholy anymore. And that just wasn't the case. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you're the expert on this. What's going on with my mind?
2: Well, that's called the arrival fallacy, which is the belief that I'll be happy when I lose a bunch of weight. I'll be happy when I move. I'll be happy when I switch careers. I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I get married. Um, And just as you report, um, what the research suggests is that people usually don't get some huge rush of happiness when that happens, partly because by the time it's happened, you've already it's it's already sort of been worked into your into your life. You know, like you don't lose your 300 pounds in one day. You're you're doing that gradually. So you're experiencing that over time. And then also every new state brings its own issues. So you get a new job and that's great, but now you have a, now you've got a bunch of new responsibilities and you've got new things that you have to figure out. Um, So unless it's something like you won an award where they just hand it to you and you walk off the stage where it's just like, that's just pure fun you don't expect it. It comes out of nowhere. It's so exciting. Or my sister and I talk about wanting to get a present in the mail where it's like, I just to get a lovely little surprise that sort of doesn't demand anything from me. But you know, you buy that new house. Well, now you gotta now you gotta fix the gutters and 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 figure out where the TV goes. And and so so a lot of times, um, you know, that's why I think it's important to enjoy the process because if you can enjoy the process, um, then you're not hanging around waiting for some kind of, uh, you know, what's going to happen at the very end. Which, as you say, often you don't experience it in the way that you you might anticipate that you would.
1: Yeah, no, I I definitely and and I think that that's that's correct, because and at least for me and anecdotally, I don't know about broad scale, but um, for me, happiness is like setting a goal and achieving a goal. And, Mm -hmm. And if it's if it's a daily thing and I've got my daily stuff, you know, even if it's just getting out of bed, I might experience a little bit bump of happiness it's not like elation or joy or ecstasy or something like that but these little bumps
2: well when i was writing the happiness project i was trying to understand well how do you even think about happiness like i i needed some kind of framework to think about it And I thought about, well, you can think about happiness as feeling good, feeling bad, feeling right in an atmosphere of growth. So feeling good is we want love and enthusiasm and and friendship and, and, you know, all the things that are good we want more of. And then we want less of the things that make us feel bad, like guilt, anger, resentment, indignation, remorse. You want less of that. Then you want to feel right, which is you want to feel like your life lives up, you're living up to your values in your life. So sometimes you do things to live up to your values that don't feel good but that you're like, well, this is part of like right action and, and me being the kind of person that I want to be, even if it sometimes is, it can be kind of, you know, there's just sometimes downsides, because you know, it can be a pain to be an environmentalist or whatever, but you do it because it's important to you. But what you're talking about is an atmosphere of growth. We're happier when we feel like we're growing or learning or teaching or helping or fixing something in some way in the, we're making the world better, we're making ourselves better. Um, and that atmosphere of growth is, is a really important engine of how Happiness, Because it's kind of something that even, even if a lot of other things are going on in our life, this is something that we can sort of persist in. Um, And I think for a lot of people, it's like, it may not be the biggest thing in the world, but it's like, I'm, I'm putting one foot in front of the other and I'm doing it. And there's a real, there is a real happiness that it really does add to our happiness to do that.
1: Is it important how we define it for ourselves and how we think about it? Because like, I, as you were saying that I could think about the ways I used to think about it or, and I'm a sober person who was also morbidly obese. So I've, I've like done battle with two things Mm -hmm. and both of those things I would tell myself, no, this substance or food makes me happy. So I'm going to continue using it. And, and it, it really required me to shift the way I thought of it to, become powerful over it. And I, I wonder if that's the same with happiness.
2: Well, I started my career in law um, and I spent an entire semester, you know, arguing about the definition of contract. And I think happiness <laughs> is an even more elusive concept. There's something like 15 or 17 academic definitions of happiness. Now, for myself, I kind of think that for the lay person. It's like if you want to say it's peace or joy or satisfaction or, you know, it's kind of like I like the idea that it's loose enough that we can all bring our own definition to it. Um, I think what's more helpful, and this kind of goes back to what you were talking about um is it's it's more helpful to think about, well, what, is this going to make me happier next week, next month, next year? Can I do I think that if I do this or stop doing this, it's going to make me happier? I feel like for many people, that's very clear. Whereas am I happy? Does this make me happy? How do I stay happy? That to me feels very confusing and kind of abstract and it, everything's tangled up and everything else. But if you're like, well, if I really made an effort to get to sleep by 11 p.m. every single night, do I think that would make me happier? I think for the, I think for that, we often have a lot more clarity. So I think about being happier, uh, moving in the right direction more than I think about like the absolute state.
1: Right. Because the absolute state comes and goes, and then yeah. it's almost intangible when, well, when it's yeah, happening.
2: Absolutely. And like the minute you start thinking about it, it kind of slips away. You can also be very happy and very unhappy at the same time. Sometimes things that like we were talking earlier, sometimes you'll do something to, that makes you feel right that actually makes you feel bad. So it's like you're going to visit your sick grandfather in the hospital and you so hate going to the hospital and it's really hard, you know, and and you dread it and then you look back on it and no part of it is good, but you do it because you're a loving grandchild. And it's like, and so are you happy? Are you unhappy? Like, what does that even mean? And so I, I find it very, as somebody who just thinks about happiness all the time, I still find it a very, it's a very, it's a very complex, Um, concept. So I kind of try to find ways to work around it rather than to look directly at the sun.
1: That is such a super interesting one that you bring up with and a great analogy, because I don't know that I could have um, really gotten there with food, but I can now building on that and thinking about like what I believe is right might not create happiness in the now, but it will lead to potentially greater, a greater abundance of happiness in the future absolutely and then yep. even with your grandfather it's like you know unless your grandfather gets better which many don't in the hospital it could all just be sad but you did it because you you believed it to be the right thing to do
2: right and so and so is that happiness i think some people would argue yes some people would say it's something else and so i sort of feel like well let's just mix these all these things up and say they're they're part of having a happy life part of a happy life means living up to your values, even if that means it's like maybe you gotta go way out of your way to vote or you've got to stand in a long line and that's inconvenient, but you're like, well, that like that's just that's just the way it's gotta be. If I'm in a vote and I have and I it's important to me to put my values into the world that way. Um yeah, so so I I think it it's it's just good to recognize that all these things can be happening at once.
1: Do you think cavemen worried about happiness or like hunter gatherers? Do you think it's got something to do with the fact that we have maybe more time on our hands that we can even sit here and have this conversation that it's something that like I spend time thinking about?
2: Well, that's a very interesting question, because a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, first you wor- worry about, you know, food and drink and safety and all that. And that's certainly true that like if you're, you know, if you're if if, if the very essentials of your life are, you know, are, you have to fight for those, you're going to do that. But it's also true that you see, I mean, just in that and this is not something that I've I've thought about a lot, but. You see with people who, who really are very, are, you know, they have that very challenging lives. They still have time to put beautiful things on their walls. They still have time to tell each other stories and sing songs and 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 they worry about the way they look. You know what I mean? They're they're looking for this like beauty and story. And, um, you know, uh, there are some people that they want to be with more than others would, you know. And so so I think that. um it's part, you know, it's part of what we want in, in our lives. Um, the very
1: human thing. I think. It's a
2: very human thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the cavemen d- painted on their walls. And, they sure did. And yeah. we, you know, I think we have. They buried beautiful stories. things with
2: their dead. I mean, I don't know what yeah. cavemen like I forget. I, I get all right. my, you know, molt, you know, all those, all those. Thousands of years ago, folks, I get the timelines confused. But sure. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: but yeah, we can definitely find I mean, we can find 10,000 year old mummies that have tattoos. And that mm-hmm. was very clearly uh, an aesthetic thing. Right. Or,
3: or religious, yeah. or
1: religious. Right. But it yeah. had right. it was more than it wasn't for uh, utilitarian. Strict, right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, so it added to happiness. Right. Uh, right. Maybe. Right. right. <laughs> What's the secret to happiness then?
2: Ah uh, right. Um. Well, there's a couple ways to answer that. So if you're going to say like, what is the secret to happiness? Ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists would say relationships. If we want to be happy, we need to have strong relationships. We need to have deep, enduring bonds. We need to belong. We need to be able to confide. We need to be able to get support and give support. Both are important for happiness. So anything that deepens our relationships to people or broadens our relationships to other people is something that's likely to make us happier. Um, But another thing that you can think about is self-knowledge because we can all build a happy life only on the foundation of our own nature, our own interests, our own values. Um, And so we really have to know ourselves and it's easy to just think, well, we're all just the same, which is not true. Um, people have very different perspectives on the world, different values, different interests, different habits. Um, and it can be hard to know ourselves because you think, well, I just hang out with myself all day long. Of course I know myself, but but often we're very blinded by the way we wish we were or the way we think we ought to be or what other people expect from us. And so I think for a lot of people, um, it's, a, it's a process. And I'll give you an example and maybe you'll identify with this is, um, so I'm a person who had like a super serious sweet tooth. Like Really, a very driving sweet tooth, a distracting sweet tooth, boring sweet truth, right? Very hard to manage. And then, and then I was reading something by Samuel Johnson, you know, the great uh, 18th century lexicographer, and he said somebody offered him a little wine, and he said, "Child, I can't take a little. Abstinence is as easy to me as temperance would be difficult." Meaning he could have none, but he couldn't have a little bit. Right. When I read that, I thought that is me. I can have no thin mint cookies or I can have 10 thin mint cookies, but I can't have one thin mint cookie. I can't have half a dish of ice cream. I can't have a little mini brownie. Because I can't have one square of fine chocolate that I keep in my desk drawer. If I start, I got to go all the way, but it's not that hard for me to have none. Yeah. And so, and, and when I was writing my book better than before about habit change, I talked about this as the strategy of abstaining, but this is a strategy that doesn't work for everybody. I'm an abstainer. It's easier for me to have none, but then there are moderators and they do better when they have it a little bit or sometimes, or, and they get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. And so it's like, well, and, and like people are different. I'm a moderator about wine because I don't really care about wine. I can have half a glass of wine. Whereas I have a friend who's like, it's no wine or it's four glasses of wine. There's no there's no moderation for me. So we're probably most of us are a mix, but when you're facing strong temptation, it's really, it's really a useful thing to know about yourself. Because I I don't know about you, but everybody's always saying moderation is pleasant to the wise. And you know, don't be too hard on yourself and follow the 80-20 rule. And these things just didn't work for me. And then it was a huge relief to realize, well, that works for some people. Those are great ideas for some people. But for someone like me, maybe maybe something different would work better. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, this is so much better for me. This is so much easier for me. It's so much more pleasant for me. And again, I'm not saying it's true for everyone, but it's yeah. true for me. And I had to know myself. And once I knew myself, um, then I was able to recognize a pattern that was much, much just easier for me.
1: Are those the two categories that you like moderators and abstainers? Are it gotcha. like f- or, or is, are there broadly more or is this is this, you know, I'm I'm always trying to figure all of this out. And I look at my wife who can leave a couple sips of wine in her glass. And I just it, it perplexes me because I as a as a person who who is abstinent from alcohol, look at that and it just it's like a glitch. It's like a how do you do that?
2: Well, I, I mean, I kind of think it's easier to just embrace yourself And instead of trying to turn yourself into someone else, because if it's if you can't leave a few sips of wine, just be like, well, that's how she is. And I'm not the same way. Sure. Rather than trying to be like, well, I should. Because the thing is, a lot of times we'll say to each other, well, you should be able to do this. You shouldn't. Why should you? Well, when it comes to alcohol, people are accepting that a lot of times people have to kind of like just give it up altogether with things like nicotine. But then there's other things where people say, well, you should. Somebody said to me, you should be able to just enjoy a brownie. And I'm like, well, why should I? Because I'm telling you, it doesn't work like that for me. Right. You know, that's just my experience. And so my experience is my experience. And, but I think some people are like, well, I need to like learn how to like deal with it instead of being like, well, maybe I just feel better if I accept it. Yeah. Um, and I then would you be get people great. where you get people where conflict, like you and your wife, where one person's like, well, I've got to keep the ice cream in the freezer. And the other person's like, but if there's ice cream in the freezer, I'm gonna eat all of it. And the person's like, well, just have one little bowl. Like what, just, just, you know, and you're like, I can't. You yeah, know? It doesn't so work
1: that way. You just have
2: that. Just recognizing that people are different.
1: Yeah, I, I, I wish that abstinence from food was a thing. Okay, because
2: but you can abstain from certain foods. A hundred percent. Just the way you can't abstain from drinking. Right. But you can abstain from alcohol.
1: Yeah. No. A hundred percent. And and that's the thing. And and I am a big believer in moderation. But even as I say that, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a, a moderate portion of a brownie. That's just not. That's not a part of my
2: meal plan at all. I do feel like in our culture, there's like people really value moderation and they really say that everyone should be moderate. I'm like, I can't be moderate. Yeah. Like, I get why it makes sense on paper. It makes all kinds of sense on paper. Just saying it doesn't work for me. No, I mean, I have it. Then I have to I have to go through the whole thing now, more later. I deserve it. That doesn't count. It's my birthday after the day I've had, I'm going to be so good tomorrow. I was so good yesterday. And and I don't even want to say good because I know we shouldn't say good or bad, but I'm just saying like, you just have to deal with all these, even saying to yourself, well, don't say this, don't say that. It's just like, just don't have it at all. And then you just go about your business. And It's I, you know, a complicated
1: my, game. Yeah. yeah. So
2: I'm just like, I just want to stay out of that game. That's a very boring, draining game for me. And yeah. I, and And again, I think it's all for us to decide, well, what works for me? Because if somebody's saying this works for me, therefore it will work for you. It's like, Look, that's like saying, what's the best way to cook an egg? Right. I don't know. It depends on how you like to eat your eggs. Or maybe you don't like eggs at all. There is no but one best way. So each of us sort of has to figure it out for ourselves. And so, and I, and again, it's thinking like, well, it's just as, it's just as valid for someone to say, you know what? I just find it really boring to try to manage that. I I just do better when I don't have it. It's just like, that's that just, that to me feels more free and easy. Um, and that's definitely, I, I just remember the tremendous relief I felt when I was like, oh, I could just stop eating sugar. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, wow, that would just like be so great.
1: Right. Yeah. For me, it's, it, I, I I. don't, I never had such a sweet tooth, but it's like fast food. I just don't mm. eat fast food. That's like pretty much off limits. It's not, mm-hmm. a, it's not a food source anymore.
2: And then there you go. You're just like, it's not that I'm not, it's just, I'm not going to have fast food. And then you're not managing this much, that much today, tomorrow. It's just like, okay, I don't eat that. Okay, well, But
1: I still do. I will say, I want to say, though, for the record, that um, within that, I am abstinent in areas. I still have to control myself with the foods I'm allowed to eat. So it's not, I can't be, uh, you know, reckless with those foods, with olive oil and, and meat and rice and whatever I am eating. I still, so there is some aspects of moderation, but it is much harder for me than abstinence
2: but don't you think it's much easier to be moderate about olive oil than it is about something than something like french fries
1: if i when i i've done diets where it was like and you can have as much olive oil as you want and i would drink cups a day not oh, drink okay. it but i would okay. like bathe okay. all my vegetables in it oh, okay. so so like okay it is okay. it's easier okay. to be moderate about uh, about olive oil than it is about french fries certainly but i can still eat too much olive oil i fight. see if i see i, I see what try. you're saying i yeah. see what
2: you're saying yeah yeah um what's well, interesting I don't know if you've experienced this but so my next book is about it's called Life in 5 Senses and it's all about how we can tap into our five senses for like more happiness and connection and memories and and one of the things I realized is we all live in such different se- worlds of sensation like you think that we're just experiencing the objective world but we aren't at all and one of the things that has always puzzled me about when I like stopped, went to a very low carb diet was people kept saying to me, but how are you, there are all these food cues in the environment. H- how how could you do this so easily? And I was like, I don't know. How? Why was it so easy for me to do this? Because it really, once I made it, it wasn't that hard. And I don't feel like I'm constantly being pestered by food cues. And then I realized, You know, our brains show us what what they think we need to know. So if we have little kids, it tells us about toys and and children's TV shows. And if it knows we love music, it tells us that about a new concert. And if we learn a new word, we notice a new word. So our brain is like it's it's telling us what we it thinks we need to know, not like some objective. And so I realized when I stopped eating like a lot of sugary foods, my brain was like, we don't eat that. That's not very interesting so let's get it we're gonna like dial that stuff back so even things like sweet smells like you know you're walking through an airport and you smell like the auntie Anne's or the yeah. cinnabon or whatever and i realized that comes to me very dimly yeah. you know i experience it but it feels like it's very it's just a little it's just like a little echo going through it's like smelling hand sanitizer it's not like <laughs> oh my gosh where'd that wonderful smell come from um and so I think part of it is that people maybe don't realize that it 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 like that they won't be overwhelmed by food cues constantly. At least right. that was my experience. Like looking back on it I'm like I think that 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 just my experience of the world kind of adapted
1: Do you can, do you think you can uh, intentionally alter the, the those um sensu- sensory experiences?
2: Oh 100%. Yeah, through and your it, attention. It is
1: just by it's just attention like and does that mean like the longer you abstain or the longer you keep yourself away from something, the, the less power it has over you, the less you're experiencing it centrally.
3: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
0: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com moonpig.com Well, I wouldn't want to make that claim
2: because no, again, sure. a, like like you said at the beginning, it's data point of one, it's one person's anecdote and I really want to talk to some scientists about this because I'm like I haven't heard anybody ex- like really talking through this uh this this consequence. Um but it's definitely true that if you are just like trying, and I think people see this through certain kinds of like mindfulness meditation where they're doing like the five, four, three, two, one exercise where you're like really tuning into your environment. If you really say to yourself, look, I really, I love good smells, but I don't really take the time. And I'm just going to, every time I like, I'm going to smell the orange, I'm going to smell the fresh towels. I'm going to smell, the, oh, you know, it's this marvelous hardware store smell. Like I love the smell of a hardware store. I'm really going to like lean into that and amplify that and stop and notice it. You will start to notice like a lot more. I experienced this kind of in the positive and negative because I'm not much of a, a sound person. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I was making a big effort as I was working on this book to listen more to sound and to music. But what I also noticed is that I started being much more annoyed by bad sounds like music in an, in a, in the airport or like a restaurant that had music that was too loud. Like because I was paying more attention, you know, I, I noticed, you know, uh, just like you have visual clutter. I was realizing, ooh, I have auditory clatter. That before I was just kind of tuning out and, and but, but it also meant that I was much more aware of beauty and, and, and just kind of the richness. And so for me, it's worth it. I'm like, I'd rather have a richer experience and experience kind of the highs and the lows. Um, but you definitely are like dialing into, into that sense. And, and that uh, I really felt like it, it brought so much to my life.
1: And is that a cognitive uh, like checklists that you've made of like, if I, Stop to smell the things and experience these things that I enjoy, whether it's tactile or sound or or seeing something or feeling it or, or what I said that, but that that will net increase long term happiness.
2: I think so because what I found is like so our senses you know this is how we connect with the world and first of all it's a great way to connect with other people because we often will connect through sensory experiences like very typically a meal but we could also go to a museum or go to a sound bath or you know go on a hike um uh we it brings up memories like we uh, what i found is that you, and Proust of course is very famous for like m- memories tied to sensations but I found that like I started having all these memories coming back and I I would even do things like, well, like taste timeline, like what were the tastes of my childhood and what were the tastes of my children's childhood and what did I, what were the tastes of college? And that was just like a way to open up all these memories to me. Um, It, I think it sparks creativity because like you're more connected to the world and this is just like more input. And, you know, the more you put in, the more you can get out uh, and kind of the more sparked you get. Um, and it's what just delightful. I mean, one of the things we see, and this comes up with food too. It's like, sometimes people need a little treat, like they need a little boost and they don't want to deserve it or work for it. You know, they want it just like, they're like a cell phone that needs to plug into the wall and get a charge. And you want to give yourself healthy treats, but not, you don't want to do something to make yourself feel better. That just ends up making you feel worse. So you want to give yourself healthy treats. And there's so many things like, maybe it is a beautiful smell and like if you have a beautiful smell mid then maybe you don't need to reach for like reach for a snack um or if you like i i created an audio apothecary where i'm like i'm gonna have the songs because i tend to like sort of melancholy meditative songs and i'm like no i need to feel good pump you up happy day songs that if i need to give myself a lift because research shows that listening to upbeat music is one of the quickest, easiest ways to intervene in your mood. Like, let me have that playlist all ready to go. And if I need it, I can just like hit play. So we can think about tapping into our, our senses to give us that 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 delight and also that comfort, because sometimes we do we need to like bring down our anxiety. Um and uh, and the senses and the just offer us like so many opportunities for that once we think about, OK, how do I dial into that, that that power?
1: OK, and on that line, is it is it is that something that we have to uh, do sparingly? Like, can can you overwhelm your senses and dull them? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like I, as you say all that, I'm thinking like, you know, a double double from in and out. Is would be my taste thing, and it's not that's not even true. Maybe fat burger, whatever it is, it's going to be a big fatty cheeseburger from a fast food restaurant. And but I'm not doing that right, so I'm staying away from that because I actually think I'll be happier in the long run. But I know that when I was eating those things, I wasn't getting that kind of joy out of it, so I'm just wondering, like with your playlist, if you played that all the time, would it lose its effect?
2: Well, that's a really good point, because a lot of times, like a beautiful smell, like you can't even because of odor fatigue, you like you literally cannot keep smelling it. Right. Um, and you're right. You can wear things out. That's absolutely true. And so part of it is, um, well, you don't want to do something to make yourself, like I said, that makes you to make yourself feel better in the moment. That just makes you feel worse on the long term. So that's an unhealthy treat. So the the in and out burger is an unhealthy treat might feel great now, but you don't look back on it with pleasure. Right. Um, You probably you know, you you wish you'd gotten your treat some other way where something like a crossword puzzle or doing wordle. Um, But there are a lot of things where, you know, every medicine can become poison. And if you're like, hey, it's really fun for me to watch an episode of The Office and it just like gives me a lift and puts me in a good mood. But if I watched it for seven hours, <laughs>
1: it, I feel it like that's, start- I, I'm just the guy hitting it. What's the button I can find to press okay. and I will just uh, overpress it.
2: Well, you know, and I, yeah. And sometimes it's true that we enjoy things more when we enjoy them less and that, right. and that, and, and, and that we have to find that balance. And so, yeah, I mean, the thing is like, can you find something that get, makes feels like a healthy treat where you don't have to hold back? Because yeah. I think it is nice to have something where you're like, I can just have as much as I want. For instance, I let myself have, have as much coffee as I want. I mean, at a certain point, well, like not, or I'll switch to decaf. And then sometimes it does like at a certain point affect my stomach, but I drink an, a huge amount of coffee. And some people would say like, Gretchen, possibly that's too much coffee. And I've just like looked at the research and looked at my own, my own self. And I'm like, look, I don't, I'm, I eat a very, very low carb diet, almost never drink alcohol. I don't smoke. I wear a seatbelt. I don't ride motorcycles. I'm vaccinated. Like,
3: Come I'm just going to drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, I'm you having know? my I,
2: I want to have something where I'm like, you know, I can have as much as I want. So maybe you can find something like that where you're like, I love, I love Wordle. And if I want to do Wordle for two hours, I don't even think you can, right? Isn't Wordle like self-limiting? I don't, I yeah, don't know how to do. Yeah, it. I, I only do so like one Wordle a day. day,
1: but yes, yeah. as you're saying that. I have a little dog that my one of my my 17 year old brought home like the first week of the pandemic and she goes to boarding school. So she then when she went back to school, she left me with the dog and I kind of didn't like the dog. And now it's my dog and I love the dog. Yeah, and I can feel happy just petting the dog.
2: But see, that's perfect. See, that's a perfect it's sensory, right? Because it's 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 the, the feeling of it. And it's also back to the idea of relationships. It's feeding that relationship. It's fun. It's playful. Like you can go out in the yard and throw a ball or you can like curl up on the sofa you can i mean give them a treat
1: the dog takes me on a walk so we're both getting exercise yeah it it
2: connects you to other people right no so that's something where a lot of people talk about that that they will turn uh to like a cat or a dog in order to get um like to give themselves that kind of lift because it because it is a because you can't sort of can't overdo it other than just like sheer time, where if you like spent your entire day doing that, there's other things. That but I,
1: you. but I think, but I think I'm getting more from what you're saying too, which is interesting that I, that I want to start to try to do, which is like, if I pass something that smells good to maybe te- take an extra moment to experience that, or, you know, if I see something that's beautiful rather than just very quickly, whatever my base acknowledgement, in my head of that's beautiful, yes. maybe spend another moment looking at it, you know, Yes. as I'm petting the dog maybe go like oh yeah just the act of petting this bizarre tiny animal yes somehow makes me feel better and that's yes. nice you know yeah
2: yeah is really to like allow ourselves to revel in those experiences because it, it's true there's like all these things kind of coming at us and again our brain is kind of like a lot of times sort of dialing all this down so we're not overwhelmed because we're like oh it's so important to think about my to-do list so i don't like so that's uppermost in my mind and, and, and everything else is sort of but if you pay attention to it like the rain, you know, the sound of rain. I mean, every like it seems like everybody likes the sound of rain because, you like, you know, it's like you can play YouTube videos for eight hours. You can get soundtracks. People love the sound of rain. But when the, when it's actually raining, do you sit and listen to the sound of rain? <laughs> Probably not. Right. And you're like, why don't I sit and why don't I just sit here for five minutes and just listen to what the rain sounds like? Because yeah. rain in in New York City, where I live, is very different from rain in Kansas City, where I grew up. And I could sit and just feel like, Oh, let me take that in. But a lot of times we don't, we don't pause to take that in. And when we do, it's just, it makes our environment so much richer.
1: Yeah. And, and to the, to the, to the point about like, um, you know, you talked about people experiencing different things differently and, yes. and, and I think about that all the time because I I I am a firm believer in you know most of what I'm talking about with people is diet right and health and stuff like that and like yeah. w- w- what's the lens that we're going to view that through and I am a firm believer and there is no one size fits all right and everybody's yes. got to figure it out for themselves basically, um, but that said I think about the um uh the the you know the blue and black or white and gold dress yeah. picture
2: yes. yeah
1: and, and I think about like what else do I just not realize that somebody else is actually experiencing differently oh, than me? Okay,
2: can I hit you with something? Please, yeah. Okay, so this is I absol- that dress thing. There's also Laurel Yanni, which yes. is thing, audio thing. Okay, but so here's a different way of thinking about how people approach the world differently. And I really want to hear like what your take on this. Okay, so this is a uh, a personality framework that I came up with when I was writing my book Better Than Before, which is all about habit formation. Because I was really curious about, why some people were able to form habits more easily than others, or some people seem to form some habits easily, but other habits were really hard. Some people didn't like the idea of habits at all. I love the idea of habits. I was trying to understand this. And what I realized is it comes down, this this is a narrow aspect of your nature, but it's very important. And it's uh how you respond to expectations. So we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, which is like a work deadline and inner expectations like uh, I want to stop eating fast food. So depending on whether you meet or resist outer and inner expectations, it makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger or a rebel. And if people want to take a, the quiz, it's short and free. Three and a half million people have taken the quiz. They can take it and get an answer and a little report. Where and do we find it.
1: the quiz? I want to go take
2: to gretchenrubin slash four tendencies f o u r tendencies, and you can take the quiz. But I will describe it to you right now, and a lot of your listeners will know instantly who they are. We could do the Game of Thrones characters. We can do the Office characters. <laughs> They're, these are very blatant once you know what to look for. Okay, right. so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline, they keep a New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So they tend to love to-do lists and schedules. They're very focused on execution. Their motto is mm-hmm. discipline is my freedom then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their standard, they'll do it, no problem. If it fails their standard, they will push back. And they complain about things that are arbitrary or unjustified or unreasonable. They have to know why. They tend to love to customize. They tend to love research. So their motto is, if you convince me why, then I will comply. Okay, hand up. He's got his (laughs) hand up. Okay, we'll come back to that. Okay. Next is obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So like I was talking to a friend of mine who said, I don't understand it. I know I'm happier when I exercise. And in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. Why can't I go running now? Well, because when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up from the outside, she did it no problem. When she was trying to go for a run on her own, she was struggling. And so for, for obligers, and these are people who say things like, I can keep my promises to other people. Why can't I keep my promises to myself? Why do I make everybody else the priority? I don't make myself the priority. The solution, the very straightforward answer is to create outer accountability. You create outer accountability even to meet an inner expectation. So if you want to read more, you join a book group. If you want to exercise more, you take a class, you work out with a friend who's annoyed if you don't show up, you raise money for a charity, you think of your duty to be a role model or to be healthy for other people. There's a million ways to create outer accountability once you know that that is what you need. Um, And so these are the people who come through for everybody else. They're the rock of the world, but they have to have that outer accountability for themselves. So their motto is, you can count on me and I'm (laughs) counting on you to count on me. And then the last category is rebels and rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. So they typically don't even tell themselves what to do. Like they don't say something like, well, I'm going to quit eating bread because uh, I talked to a guy. It's like, I decided to quit eating bread. And the next day I went out and ate an entire loaf. Of sourdough bread because no one tells me what to do. Not, not even, even me. Measure. Yeah. So it's so their motto is you can't make me and neither can I. But they have their own way of 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 changing their habits. Um that's for the rebel way. So these are the four tendencies. So you say you're you say you're a questioner. That really resonated I, with no, you. I,
1: I it did, but and I also a
2: crossover. There are crossovers.
1: I feel like I have a little bit of the obliger too. So like I can look at my sobriety and my adherence to my physical stuff and goals and diets. And and I can kind of lump that all and go, even though it's not really because she didn't ask me to do any of it. I kind of pin it on my wife and go, oh, but
2: she- maybe that maybe that's your why, which is one right. of the reasons that I'm doing it is because I want to support this relationship. Yeah. So that's a person right. can be,
0: it's more like, um, Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you
1: get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag
2: Let's say somebody said to you uh hey uh, you have to do this at 7:50 a.m. every day would you be like why do I have to do it at seven fifty? It makes sense for me to do it at seven a.m. I'm going to do it my way. Why? Like, why would I listen yeah, to you? No, and somebody 100%. else is like, Are you going to check in on me at seven fifty? Because if you are, I'll do. I'll like, I'll send you a text.
1: No, no, I don't care if they check in on me. I'm not doing it at seven you're a unless there's a reason.
2: You're a hundred percent unless there's unless, a reason. That unless like it the makes motto sense, like w- right. Unless, unless I have something
1: makes... to do at eight fifty, I'm not doing it at seven fifty. Right.
2: So you sound like you're so questioner is the second largest. Obliger is the biggest. Tendency for both men and women. So, if you're thinking about yourself or somebody else, it's very likely that they're an obliger, which means they probably need outer yeah, accountability. No, that,
1: that doesn't make sense for me. And That's
2: then, but questioner is the second largest one. Okay. So, if you're thinking about like a curriculum or a program or something like that, you can figure out like a lot of people are going to be obligers or questioners. Rebel is the smallest tendency. And my tendency is the second smallest tendency, it's the upholder tendency. And those are like kind of the fringe personality types. So those are smaller.
1: I feel like the really, like the people that I look at and admire are those fringes. And Ah. they could, but they're also probably the serial killers. Like you get the best and the worst in those fringes.
2: Well, it's interesting because I think, I think because I had sort of a more extreme personality types, it was easier for me to spot what was going on in the other personality types because like obligers, I think a lot of obligers think everybody in the world is an obliger. They'll say things like, well, why is it the busy parents like us can't take time for ourselves? And I'm like, well, I'm a busy parent. I don't have any trouble taking time for myself. I think obligers sometimes think everybody in the world is an obliger and a lot of people are. So they kind of, they, they see that. And then questioners are like, well, why did people, why would anybody do something that didn't make sense? Yeah. Like that just why that doesn't make sense that people. And I'm like, well, Look around you and you will see that many people do things that doesn't like that's not enough, clearly, because otherwise we would all be working perfectly. And so I think being a, kind of a coming from an unusual situation helped me see the other categories more easily um, because and then rebels are so opposite from a polder. That was very obvious to me because I was like, "Wow, these people are living in a completely different universe from me. Um, how what what is what it, what is it that we're how do we think differently? Um, so I think, it, I think in coming up with a framework, I mean, again, that's Gretchen slash four tendencies, um, for people who want to take the quiz. Um, and then yeah, we I
1: think can build on that, knowing that, or having that as the idea, it's kind of cool to build on it. Like knowing, you know, the, the really fascinating thing, like, as you say that I've done every fad diet that has existed and, um, In the version of me today, I'm always like, how did I do some of these really stupid diets, right? Like where you just cut out lectins and you're supposed to lose 200 pounds by cutting out lectins, which just makes no sense at all. But I realized like I was sold on it. I was convinced because I didn't do that blindly. Somebody, you know, marketed that well enough that Mm -hmm. it handled all my weird questions and Mm -hmm. I believed it and I did it.
2: Yeah, well, and that's the thing is like once you were convinced, then your then your behavior followed pretty easily, and that's what you would see with a questioner. and I don't know if you've experienced this. This is very common with questioners is analysis paralysis. So sometimes, like a a, a, a questioner will say something like, "Well, I know I should exercise, so I don't understand like why I'm not moving forward." And I'm like, "I bet that in your mind, you haven't really decided." That that on what kind of exercise is like the most efficient, the best for you, the optimal one. And so you're sort of spinning your wheels. And so because for once questioners are like, yes, high intensity weight training is the way for me, then their behavior follows. And so a lot of times when there's analysis paralysis, it's like, okay, the way you get through that is through reason, is through really making up your mind about what you believe is the most reasonable solution for you. Or if 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 the, you sort of can't get enough information, or you know, sometimes we have to act without enough information. You say things like, "It's more efficient to get started um, and learn because I'll start doing I'll start doing this exercise, and if it's not working, I will have learned that this doesn't work, and maybe that'll show me what what would work better." I'm going to iterate. I'm going to experiment, but to do nothing is like the least efficient, you know, like don't get it perfect, get it going. Right. Um, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, all that. Convincing yourself to figure it out. Yeah. Questioners can go through that and be like, well, is no exercise better than 80% exercise? Okay. Let me do 80% exercise and then I'll try to get to 99% exercise or whatever right. because they can't get stuck.
1: Yeah. Or, or yeah, you're, or, whatever formula you're going to figure out, whatever formula is going to work, you have to start. Yeah.
2: Right. Exactly. That's
1: amazing. And all of the, and and you have formulas for each one of these groups.
2: Yeah. No, there's the, each one of them have strength, like tremendous strengths and also kind of corresponding weaknesses. So like one thing you see with obligers and, and maybe you've seen this is like obliger rebellion, which is when obligers feel like taken advantage of or exploited or ignored they'll kind of, explode and 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 say well this I will not do and it can be something like I'm not going to answer your emails for 2 weeks or it can be something really big like I'm going to quit my job right now right. today or I'm going to end a 30 year friendship or I'm going to get a divorce like there's just an explosion and but the, and they are often themselves say like I'm acting out of character I don't know where this came from the people around them are like you know you said you would want you would be on this committee I don't know why you're so angry um, but when you know about obliger rebellion, you see it coming a mile away. There's building anger, building resentment. Their their behavior starts to slip. Like this person doesn't usually do this or that. And yet I'm starting to see these behaviors. It's building. And then, you know, like they use metaphors like a volcano erupting, like and then it and then it and sometimes it's very beneficial. Sometimes it ends the situation that for an obliger has become kind of unbearable. And so it can be very, very positive but sometimes it can be it's out of control. So sometimes it does have negative risks or kind of negative reputational consequences because the people around are like, if you didn't want to do it, why did you why didn't you just tell us? Like, why are you now so angry? Like we don't get it. And and they don't understand that from the obligers point of view, all this has been building for a long time. So and again, or if you're frustrated because you're like, well, why do I keep all of my promises to myself, but I can't go to sleep on time, I can't exercise regularly, I never get myself to go to the doctor, I want to write a novel in my free time, I haven't worked on it in six months, what's my, then I'm like, outer accountability. Like yeah. that's it, It's not that it's simple, but it's straightforward to see like, okay, how would I plug into that? Okay, like take the novel, you want to write a novel? Let's say you got kids at home doing homework. You tell your kids, hey, you've got your work that you need to do, I got my work that I need to do. You're getting home from school, I'm getting home from work. If you're doing your homework, I'm working on my novel. Mm -hmm. And kids, if I'm not working on my novel, you don't have to do your homework. And your kids will be on you and they Mm -hmm. will be watching you and you'll be like, well, I have to work on my novel because otherwise my kids won't be prepared for school tomorrow. You've got your accountability. So there's all sorts of imaginative ways that people create accountability. Once they realize that's what they need. But of course, for someone like a rebel, outer accountability might be counterproductive. They don't want someone managing them or looking over their shoulder or telling them what to do or reminding them or nudging them. They want to do what they want to do in their own way. So they've got to have a completely different approach, which again, many people are rebels. This is not mysterious, but they kind of have to have that realization. Because rebels are like, well, why can't everybody else use to do lists? Right. Why can't everybody else put something on the calendar and do it? And that doesn't work for me. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work very well for rebels. Right. It's not a surprise.
1: You got to figure something else out.
2: You got to, and there's, and like, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no better, there's no worse. Like you said earlier, there's no one right way. So it's just like, this isn't working for you. Okay, let's try something else. And you don't have to feel bad about that. Sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to have to depend on outer accountability. I'm like, who cares? If outer accountability gives you the life you want, who cares? Yeah, it's not a big deal.
1: I, I have a seventeen-year-old who has recently been studying uh, nihilism and absurdism in school, and she comes to me with these questions of like, "What, Dad? It's it's impossible to for to for you to tell me it means anything. Life doesn't right. mean anything." And I, and at the end of the day, I think what I've tried to say to her is a version of like what's going to make you enjoy it the most in the long run is what you focus on. And that's what it means. And that's pretty much all it means. And if we can have some tools that help us getting there, it's really, Mm -hmm. really exciting.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Gretchen. Thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. Oh,
2: thank you. I so enjoyed it. I I, I feel like we could talk all day long. We're interested in so many of the same things.
1: hundred percent. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thank you. And now for the Q and a, I have a question for
3: you today from Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. She says, hi, Ethan. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. The American Glutton podcast has saved my life and put me on a path of healthy eating and exercising.
1: That's amazing. Thank you.
3: She says, I've lost 30 plus pounds in the last year and I started going to the gym three times per week. I'm a 56 year old woman who is discovering that as I age, weight gain seems easier and weight loss is more difficult than when I was in my 20s. Have you had, yeah, (laughs) have you had to adjust your routine based on your age? Interested in hearing your thoughts on this.
1: I haven't specifically adjusted my routine because of my age. Uh, simply because the routine that I'm doing, I f- I f- really didn't start doing this routine um, until four years ago. So, um, and it's been working, and and I would I would think that the adjustment that I would have to make would be, um, just honestly eating less and maybe making sure I move more. There, there are there are some great scientific studies on age and metabolism, and it turns out that the metabolism doesn't slow down really at all. But what does happen is that we stop um, healing in really the same ways, and we we slow down. So, we stop doing a bunch of stuff. But if you factor everything in, the metabolism is still operating in the same exact way. So, As long as you kind of make sure that you are moving enough and not overeating, I think you can stave off any age required adjustments. And then you also have to beware because you're going to have like, uh, your your muscles are not going to heal as as quickly as they did. There's going to be less rejuvenation. And so that becomes a factor too. But keeping all that in mind, I think my you know, the structure that I'm following will largely stay the same.
3: Yeah. And as a woman, I want to say, I really hear her and you've recently had a couple of awesome guests on, um, you know, doctors that are talking about like women. And as we get older and different things that happen with our bodies. So those are amazing to check out too. Cause I just found those to be so helpful, even just from the point of view of like, Oh, I'm not the only person experiencing some of that, you know? So, um, just want to recommend those to her.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, I can't speak for women and the and the hormonal changes. Like uh men will have a lower testosterone, which means their muscles are going to atrophy quicker. Women already have that, and then they've got a whole other, uh, you know, slew of things to deal with when they start having a decline in hormones. And so there, it does become like kind of a mess.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you for that question. And Ethan, thank you for your answer. For anyone else out there who enjoys this question and answer portion of the episode and has something they want to know Ethan's opinion on, you can always send us a question at American glutton.net.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of American glutton. I'm Ethan. You can follow us on Instagram at
2: American glutton podcast. Sincerely.